Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Campionato di calcio italiano. and welcome or welcome back to the latest Forza Italian football podcast. I, as ever, am your host, Connor Clancy. Joining me is Dov Schiavone. Dov, welcome along. Hello, everybody. I'm bringing the charisma again. Yeah, charisma and a new haircut, mate. You look great. Actually, do you know, do you know what's really funny, right? I was, I was on YouTube the other day and I got a channel came up as recommendations. It was, I was talking about charisma. And I'm just, I was, I, was, I was like candid on charisma or something. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like Facebook or YouTube and Google are literally listening to conversations that we have. Yeah, it's always hard. I think it happened when I was with you. We were talking about basketball yeah, shirts or something. And then I went and ha- had an email offering <sighs> me basketball kit. It's, it's horrible. Um, also joining me is Vito Doria. Vito, it's good to speak to you again. Yeah, you too, Connor. It's uh... Great to be on again. And, of course, uh, another interesting round of Serie A action. So it's worth dissecting it now. Yeah, another interesting round indeed. And one that we were over again this weekend. What were we at? Six games of the nine to be played so far? Oh, no, only five. Connor, calm down. You're getting ahead of yourself. No, well, I was wait, at two. It? You were at two. Oh, no, no. no we are, yeah, I forget about Kievo Torino because it was so crap. <laughs> right, let's, let's start with Kievo Torino, Dov. Really? Really? It was rubbish. It was, it was one of the worst games of football I've ever watched in my entire life. That's it. It was absolute garbage. Um, so I was, where, <laughs> I was in Florence when you were at Kievo and Dov was messaging me during the game saying, I'm actually not bothered doing a report on this game. It's so bad. And then I, I, I literally I couldn't think of what to write. I was sitting there thinking, there's nothing to write about this game. Nobody's had any chance. I think Giacarini had one chance. Um, that I had like a half speculative chance in the first half and then in the second half it was the same until like about an hour in where Sorrentino made a couple of saves and then that, that was literally all that happened until the goal. It was honestly 
the worst advert for Serie A in the entire world. All right, well, let's not lead with that then, so, especially yeah, that was, that was where there were so many good games that happened. Um, you were Zaza also scored. Like, Zaza did score, yeah, it's good. We, we might talk about that later. Come on, let's, let's move on, Conor Carnes. Yeah. We've said enough about this The game. other Turin club, you, you were in Turin last night, I think it was last night, and you saw Juventus beat Napoli in what you described as a training exercise. But Dov, Napoli went 1-0 up at the Juventus Stadium. How could it have been a training exercise? It was a training exercise of how to come from a goal down and destroy the opposition. <laughs> That's how it was a training exercise. Um, it's funny, like speaking to people after the game, uh, the, 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 kind of the overriding feeling was not that uh, of Napoli were kind of like, oh they did well and all oh, if it didn't Mario Rui didn't get sent off it was more more a case of Juventus are their own worst enemy Juventus were crap in the first fifty minutes and as soon as Juventus sorted themselves out they just played much better football and Napoli did not have an answer for it um, when you look at kind of the game with Sarri kind of what one of the things that's kind of pointed out is that when Juventus were allegedly was facing Sarri. He was kind of more trying to stop Sarri playing rather than kind of Juventus going all swashbuckling and attacking. Whereas yesterday or, or on Saturday, Juventus played Napoli off the park when they wanted to. Some of the football Juventus played was fantastic. And Cristiano Ronaldo was amazing. And that's the reason why they bought him. For, not Serie A, but for big games for him to step up. And it was so, so good. Obviously, the three assists, he probably could have... It was unlucky to get a couple of goals as well. Um, but after the first 50 minutes, Napoli just had no answer whatsoever. Yeah, so, Vito, what did you think? When Napoli went 1-0 up, because it's one of those weird things that whenever Juventus can see the goal, generally you think, oh, no, now they're just going to come out and smash the team. But Napoli went there last year and won. Another goal was a lot later in the game. Did you think that Napoli maybe should have done a better job holding out for their 1-0? I know there was a long way to go. Or Where did it go wrong for them? It's a bit hard to pinpoint if there was one point or more than one point to say where it all went wrong. But I reckon more than anything, it was just about Juventus getting out of the shell. Juventus are that team that waits for the opposition to make moves. And... Napoli taking an early lead perhaps played into Juventus's hands. It woke them up. They played with greater confidence. And as Dobbs said, Cristiano Ronaldo played a great game providing those goals for his teammates. And Mario Mandzukic scored two goals. So instead of him being the workhorse or doing the gritty work up front, he's actually putting some goals away, so it's good for the Croatian international to do that. Well, that's the thing. It's weird you say that, Vito, because it was actually Mandzukic who was doing the donkey work for Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo was kind of like most of the time standing about as the furthest man forward, and it would be Mandzukic that would kind of go out to the left and help out in defence, but then it would also get himself back into those positions as well. Kind of get the ball to Ronaldo, and then he would kind of get himself into the box. Ronaldo spent most of the time kicking about on the left-hand side. So it's kind of it's, it's like a weird dynamic they've got that Ronaldo's like, I'm Ronaldo, I can't be bothered running about. You're Manzukic, you run about for me, but then I'll help you score goals. And it's it's kind of a weird dynamic that they've got going on. Of Aaron Holland has come in in the comments and asked on a scale of 10 to 10 how likely is the Juventus invincible season and this is something that I was thinking about last week as well it's it's worrying isn't 
Oh, the Skedettle's finished. It's yeah, done already. I know, but if they did it unbeaten, that would be... Who's going to beat them? Like, like realistically, they've probably got three, maybe four games where the, there's a risk of that, and that's away to Napoli, Roma, Inter, and Milan. They'll win all their games at home. Maybe Lazio as well. Like, they're very unlikely to lose at home. Like, I think like they don't really lose at home. It's like a shock when they do. And if they go away and they can draw at those places, which they can easily do, then, yeah, an unbeaten season. Like And they've done that recently as well. They've done that under Antonio Conte. So it's not something that's kind of completely unexpected. This UB team are so far ahead of everybody else. They've got two teams there that could probably win the Scudetto. They've got two first 11s that could win the title. And we're in September and they've already won the bloody title already. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. Like we thought last season the teams would get better, but they're not. They're, they're getting worse and UV are getting even better. So, Do you know what so, yeah. the worst thing about it this year is? I don't think I've seen Juventus play well once except for when they beat Valencia in the Champions League. They don't need to play well. That's September. The way Allegri's always set up his teams is to play well in March, April, May, because he knows the team can play in third gear until then. They'll, they'll probably be around about the top of Serie A. They'll get to the latter stages of the Coppa Italia and they'll get to the knockout stages of the Champions League. Pretty much guaranteed playing at 50-60%. That, that, that's kind of a guaranteed thing. Then, when they get to... March, April, May, when they need to win games and when they need to kind of be on top form to advance in the cup competitions and put a good run of games together. I think it was at last season, they won 26 in a row or something like that in that period. So that's when Juventus, that's when we'll see how good Juventus are. And if you're looking at them, how, like what they're doing just now, their first real test, they absolutely passed it with flying colours. 10 out of 10. Can we so, give... Can we give Manzukic some more credit? Because I know you share my feelings on this guy. He is absolutely amazing. And he, he gets the credit for doing the, the donkey work, as you said earlier. But he is such a good player as well. And that's something that is often overlooked. Because he was with Atletico, where he, he, under Diego Simeone, obviously his role was to do that work. And he's just carried it with him to Juve. But he can score as well and he can create chances. He's just the perfect player to have in your team. Yes. Do you want some statistics? Hold on. I'll get, I'll get, I'll get my statistics up. Cause you I've really got, are taking oh, next place. Right. Here's my statistic. That's the first time Mario Mandzukic has scored four goals in the first seven Serie A games. And it's his second brace in Serie A as well. His last one was against Carpe in 2015. Um, and that was the first time he scored against Napoli as well. There you go. There's some uh, Mandzukic statistics. So Ronaldo is bringing the goals out of Mario Mandzukic. He'll do that. He'll do that at the start of the season, and then he'll be getting Mandzukic to be his Benzema and just make all of the space for him. Yeah, when they get to the Champions League semi-finals, Ronaldo will be like, "Hey, hey Mario, I'm scoring the goals now. I've done. You've done your wee bit. It's my turn." But you know, Mandzukic won't care in the slightest. They'll be like, oh, "Oh, we'll still win, though. Yeah, perfect. I'll do that. No problem." <laughs> um, Vito, let's go to Rome. Because Roma won their first game, I think, since, what, the opening day of the season? And it was only their biggest game of the season because they beat Lazio 3-1. H- how can a team go from losing to Bologna to beating an informed Lazio team like this? Midweek, they played uh, Frosinone and won 4-0 and Di Francesco changed to a 
4-2-3-1 formation. He used the Pastore as the trequatista, and that worked. For this game, he had Pastore in the same role, then he came off injured. The main turning point was the introduction of Lorenzo Pellegrini, who probably played more further than he usually does, and he had his breakthrough game. He had a significant impact and was involved in all three goals. So this was a real icebreaker, and I think it was the ideal confidence booster because I feel that most of the time Pellegrini's been a bit inconsistent for Roma, so I was glad to see him make an impact like he did against Lazio. Yeah, well, I've been critical or sceptical of Pellegrini's impact on this Roman team, but you, you, you hit the nail on the head there. He was playing in a more advanced role, and maybe this is the position for him, but then that's the same as Brian Cristante. He, he needs to play in that advanced role. Have Roma got this problem that we've seen other teams have before where they've got too many players who aren't suited to the system that Di Francesco plays and they want to play in different positions? Do you think that could backfire on them as the season goes on? I reckon that's what it's starting to look like now. We can't make a judgment solely based on the derby, but we if... Di Francesco sticks with the 4-2-3-1 formation. You've got Pastore, Cristante, Coric, Pellegrini, and Zaniolo who can play in that one role. So that's pro- that's far too many plays for that role. And then you've got to accommodate other plays for other positions in that formation. So it'll be interesting to see if all those players stay in January or if one or two get loaned out. Yeah, definitely. Aaron Holland, obviously a Roma fan, has come in in the comments saying kings of Rome, kings of Rome. And I just went to check the league table and they are still behind Lazio. Sorry, Aaron. Um, But only by one point, which you kind of forget, given Lazio's recent form, that they had quite a bad start to the season. Um, But then when you look at the rest of the league table, Juve 7 from 7, 21 points. And then there's a huge drop straight away. It's just, it's hard not to look at the Serie A table and get the press because... As Duff said earlier, it is just wrapped up. Vito, the battle for the top four then, where do you think Roma fall in this at the moment? I know it's early and a lot of things will still change, but they've got Lazio, Genoa, Sassuolo, Inter and Fiorentina ahead of them, as well as Napoli. So it's looking like Inter and Fiorentina could seriously challenge for that. Um, Roma are probably the fourth best of those four teams then. On paper, I reckon they are because there are some talented players in the squad and if the last two Serie A fixtures are anything to go by, maybe that formation change was really what Roma need just to get the balance right and also to accommodate as many players as possible to fit into a suitable system. So hopefully this is the uh, developer of the momentum that... Roma needs and hopefully gives Eusebio Di Francesco much needed job security. On the other side of that, I'll stick with you on this one. Um, Lazio, is it just going to be a case of brushing this off and getting back on their feet or could you see this eating away at them a little bit more? This will probably eat at them a little bit more, to be honest. From what I've seen of Lazio this season, they've really struggled in the big games and those teams that are the threats or rivals for European spots, they've managed to get the better of them. Lazio have been doing well in the games against weak opposition, and they would 
be getting confidence boosters from those fixtures, but they need to be doing better against more established teams or teams with bigger reputations so they can really be a threat for Europe again because they do look like a team that's not playing well collectively. It's like some players are playing well, but then a few others are just not as good as they were last season. You look at the... I disagree with him completely because I think, right, Lazio, they've always kind of had a problem against the bigger teams. They maybe have a, a good result here and there, but if they do well against all the smaller teams, like what they've, like they've been doing, then for me, they look the, the most likely team, bar Juve and Napoli, to, to be in the Champions League spots. I think that apart from kind of those bigger games, they've been convincing against all the other teams, I think. And I, and I think they're, they're really underrated. And Simone and Zaghi's are brilliant coach probably the best what separates the the Europa League sides from the Champions League sides so that that they need the odd results they don't need to beat Juve every time or Napoli every time but they need I don't know to to beat them at home and try and hold them away Mm. yeah possibly and I think Lazio like Lazio have got a good enough first team and they've got a good enough kind of coach tactically that they can maybe get an away result and, and it kind of depends on form and injuries and stuff like that because I think the problem with Lazio is their squad isn't big enough um, so kind of when they're doing the, the Europa League and playing in midweek and stuff like that, things kind of don't really go the way they want. But if they're kind of doing one one game a week, then Inzaghi can, can play his best 11 every week. I think they're one of the better teams in the league, definitely. Yeah. And I think they look to me look like when you get that, you've got that group kind of um, after Juve and Napoli, like Inter, Roma, Milan, Fiorentina, kind of all those teams, they look to be the best of the bunch. Well, they do have some challenging games coming up. They've got Fiorentina next, and then they've got Inter and Parma, who are doing okay, and they've done all right against the bigger teams as well. So the next three or four games could Parma be... Parma are rubbish. Parma, they'll be... Parma. <laughs> We're not allowed to say that. We got in trouble for giving out or not talking about Parma. So we have to be nice about Parma this week. <laughs> um, we'll see about that, right? Anyway. <laughs> we do have to talk about them a little bit later because we haven't addressed them at all this season. Um, right. Where where else were you? You were at. We've we've done your two games. Sassuolo Milan. Then um, you were I, there. I was there. Yeah, and it wasn't a very good game. There were five goals. Five goals, mate. What are you talking about? There were five goals and some very very good goals. Suzo's goal was Suzo's first goal was amazing. Uh, Castellejo's goal was very good. Cassie's goal was well taken, but I was so disappointed in Sassuolo because. For the first, I don't know, five minutes, they came out and they went at Milan. They played the football we've seen them play this season. Um, Federico Di Francesco was excellent on the left. He gave Ignazio Abate an absolutely horrid five minutes. But then that was it, basically. Milan then just had the ball. They weren't even being contested all that much. And Abate hit the crossbar. He just charged up the right and hit the bar. Uh, there wasn't really too much else going on. And then the opening goal, Sassuolo will be so disappointed because Cassie picks up the ball. It's a counter attack. He picks up the ball inside his own half and just runs for about 40 yards, completely unchallenged. He's got, I'm assuming it was Castellejo and Suzo either side of him, against two Sassuolo centre-backs and neither of them stepped forward. And you could kind of see for a while, okay, don't step forward yet, don't step forward yet, because otherwise you're dead. He'll slip a pass and it's done. But then they got to the box and they just kept backing off. So he just slotted it into the corner and it was simple. And then after that, 
Kevin Prince Boateng nearly set up the Francesco Abate made an amazing challenge. But, but so, so was so you're just saying it was just a game of kind of incidents. Did you not see anything different from Milan? Obviously, they'd drawn their last three games, and there was the crisis and talk about Gattuso possibly getting the sack and Milan looking at other people. And, no, I did like the well, thing. they scored four goals. Something. Yeah, must be but they were all... Higuain. Higuain's a waste of money. There you go. <laughs> No, they were definitely, for the first half, they were missing that focal point up top, for sure. But you kind of summed it up there. It was a game of incidents. There was nothing all that new from Milan. The surprising thing was that Abate looked like a good player. Um, it, it could be big for them that Suzo, they were Suzo's first goals in Serie A since February. And he, he wasn't that great. But then when he got his goal, you could see he had that newfound confidence. He, he ran over and gave Gattuso a big hug. And he kind of upped it a bit after that first goal. But no, honestly, Milan won. But I was more disappointed with Sassuolo, Sassuolo than I was impressed with Milan. I would agree with that assessment, to be honest, because when I saw Sassuolo in possession, it was very predictable. And I thought that they were going sideways far too often. It's one thing to be patient in possession, but you've got to be direct or move the ball a bit quicker so you don't give the opposition time to set up in defence. And I thought that Manuel Locatelli in particular doesn't play enough vertical or diagonal balls to really generate more forward runs for Sassuolo. So from that aspect, I was a bit disappointed with the Nero Verdi. AC Milan, more than anything, like you said, relied more on moments. And the four goals were excellent goals. I'll give them that. And... Well, as much as those goals were worth watching, yeah, in terms of the play, it wasn't like they really played much better. It's just that they managed to take their chances much better than what they've had in the previous six games. The thing is, they weren't even, they didn't even carve out these chances. Souza scored a wonder goal. Castileo scored from outside the box. Cassie, it was opportunistic. And Souza scored effectively from a free kick. Milan didn't actually force Consigli to do all that much. It was, it was weird. They had four shots, basically, and scored them. Um, I don't know. I, I wasn't all that impressed. Abdul says he disagrees. He thought Milan were very impressive. I wonder if he is a Milan fan. Dove, he also asked a question that I know what your answer will be. But what does Dove feel about Suzo? I believe he said that he didn't rate him. I'm on board with you on this. I don't think he's all that good. Aaron Holland says he's coutinho light, who I also think is a little bit getting missed. Um, he's, he's good, but he's not great. And he's so, he's one-dimensional. Like, you know exactly what he's going to do. He's down the left, cuts inside, tries a shot. And that's pretty much all he does in a game. Well, I think in the last the last Milan home game I was at, it, it was when he assisted and he crossed it with his right foot. And I was I was I was shocked because he never uses his right foot. So he's obviously been working on that and training with Catuso. But I think we, Milan fans obviously look back at kind of the players that they've had, like, like Kaká and Sedorf and Shevchenko, and like players that are like top top level. Suso's nowhere near there. Suso's not going to take Milan to the Champions League. Suso, he's got his two goals now. He'll not score again until January, and that'll be that. <laughs> Uh, come on they'll, they'll have to play Frozenone at some point they'll score against them <laughs> yeah we'll see I'm not I'm not a fan honestly out there and, and he doesn't work back as well and that's one thing that see if you look here's, here's a comparison 
where under Montella, Chalanoglu and Suso were essentially the same, but on either side of Milan, right? Gattuso came in, Chalanoglu has been a lot better under Gattuso. You see him tracking back and working back. I think Gattuso plays him in the wrong position, but that's kind of a little thing. Um, Suso doesn't do that work that Chalanoglu does. And, and even then, like, Chalanoglu can kind of last 90 minutes. Suso gets a bit tired towards the end. Um, so, yeah, I think if it was me, I would get Suso on the bench and I would change the formation. There you go. Dorothy. And who, who comes on in his place? I'd, I'd change it to a 4-3-3 and have either Castellejo or Bonaventura or somebody like that on either side and then put, put who, who's got a little Bakayoko, Kessier, Bilia, kind of bump up the midfield and then I kind of have two wingers and I don't think Suso... Suso's, I mean, he could come off the bench, he could play in some games, but for me, um, I'm not a fan. So there you go. There you go, Abdul. <laughs> We're going to get so much abuse for this because Milan scored four goals and we're just saying that they're terrible. But no, they weren't that they're, good. They're not terrible. They're better. They were better than what they had been. And and they played until the final whistle as well because see, after Sassuolo scored, it was 3-1. See if Sassuolo got another goal here. Oh, yeah. Lose this. There was a moment as well where Sassuolo, it was just, it was a nothing cross into the box. But... I was at the end of the press box right beside the Milan fans and they had kind of come into the main stand as well hmm. and they were terrified just at the idea of Sassuolo getting within one goal of them. Um, but yeah, well, they, they went till the last minute because of the, the whistle that announced the goal was literally the final whistle as well. It was weird that. It went to VAR. I don't know why because there was no one in an offside position but the referee went to VAR to check it and then as he announced the goal, Concilio went mental at him and he just decided that he'd had enough. Um, Abdul's back again, though. Uh, Milan are... T- actually, Vito, you can come in on this one. Milan are not terrible, but they're not a top-four side. But you have to credit Milan for killing off the momentum that Sassuolo created after the goal they scored. Yeah. Um, like, no, no. They were already not three. terrible. But no. they're not a top-four side. But for Milan, that not being a top-four side is terrible. Yeah. I don't think we need to give them credit for killing off this momentum because I don't think there ever really was all that much momentum from Sassuolo. There was that quick flurry, but it wasn't like Sassuolo were peppering shots at Donnarumma's goal. It was just what you would expect from a team that was trailing. But we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. Inter, Inter won. Dov, this is just a straightforward win. But Nick tweeted something I wanted to bring up to him after the game of the week. This is the sort of game that Inter need to win because it's when they're expected to win for me that they always slip up and they're all right in the big games, whereas Nick kind of thought it was the reverse. I don't know, have you got a take on this? Well, we had Vieri Capretta at the game, live at the San Siro, hashtag FAF at the games. Um, and he said it was kind of one of those games where Inter created loads and loads of chances and didn't put any away. I think, I think it was right at the end. I think they got their second one. Um, yeah, the 89th minute. So I think obviously the, uh, Lautaro had scored there, the goal, but cut out, like from, like I've only seen bits and pieces of it. But from what he's reported on, and from what he's told me, Inter dominated, but couldn't finish, which is kind of something they've done in bits of the season as well. Yeah, so, it's a bit Inter but, like well, that. They got the win. That's the thing. Like before they'd maybe have drawn that game. Kyrie would have got like a random goal and they'd have drawn it, but they got the win. 
I think the, 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 the two games against Tottenham and Sampdoria where they got kind of last-minute goals has kind of changed how they think. Yeah, another thing. The thing that came out of this game for me was the fact that Lazaro scored with what was his first Serie A shot. You know, is, is he the guy who can finally break their over-reliance on Mauro Icardi? I reckon he is, but it's just one game, so hopefully it's the ideal confidence boost, that, and they do need that option to Icardi as well. Another thing, too, is that Spalletti doesn't always play 4-2-3-1, so if he goes for 3-4-1-2 in another game, perhaps he can try Icardi and Martinez at the same time. But it'd be interesting to see how this team progresses when both players are fit and see how they can be accommodated. The other thing as well, Vito, he rotated, which he didn't do against, I think it was the game before Tottenham, I can't remember who they played, but he didn't rotate in that game. And this game he rotated because they've got the Champions League on Wednesday, I'm going to say. And they won. And I think that's maybe a hurdle for Spalletti, where, yeah, it was against Parma before they played um, Spurs and they got beat. And he's rotated against Cagliari and he's won the game. Um, and I think that that's like a kind of almost a mental block for Spalletti where he can now feel he can trust some of the fringe first team players. Aaron Holland has just delivered absolute gold in the comments, though, but I'm sure you'll like this. I can't do accents, so I'm not going to do it. I'll be Nick today, guys. But guys, there are so many positives after these latest wins. Showing character and not falling off and winning late could mean so much going forward. Bring on the UCL. They'll probably get beat against PSV. They'll have beat Tottenham, then they'll go and get beat against Holland. See, that's that's what I mean. That's Inter, isn't it? They beat Spurs, the tough game, and then they go and mess up the the perceived easy one. Um, Are we at any Champions League games this week, though? Uh, We are. We are... Just on Tuesday, we've got Alistair is in Rome for Roma, Victoria Pilsen, and I'll be in Torino for Juventus loving some young boys. You love Juventus, don't you? You're always there. It's Cristiano watch. (laughs) You've got to be first for every single Cristiano thing. Cristiano's first touch with his left foot, Cristiano's first header, Cristiano's first hat-trick, Cristiano's first goal in the Champions League, etc., etc. Yeah, true. Although he's not going to be playing on Wednesday, is he? Or did I get no? No, he will be playing. That got rescinded. No, no, no. He's he was playing this game. He won't play. No, this is the one he misses, isn't it? Yeah, this is the one he misses. But he's back for the United game. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, Too many things, Connor. There's too many games floating in my head. There are. are are. All of all of the games I've been to this season have already merged into one. All thirteen of them. Um, I can't remember anything that's happened in any individual. All right, um, what are we doing? All right, yes, Vito. Fiorentina beat Atalanta 2-0. And the talking point to emerge from this was Federico Chiesa. We did have a comment, just let me find it right. I don't necessarily agree with the strength of this comment at all, but Vito, I'll put it to you. Glenn Little writes in and asks, lads, if you have a moment, could you discuss Chiesa's terrible diving against both Inter and Atalanta? It's awful seeing one of Italy's top Tottens cheating consistently. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Vito, take it away. Look, I must admit, I've only seen the highlights of the Interfurentino game, so I'll be honest, I don't think, with that one, I don't think it was anything too serious to worry about. But what happened against Atalanta is concerning. I don't think a player like Federico Chiesa needs to resort to those type of tactics because he has the skill to beat a man anyway. And I think he should just uh, back himself more often than not. So I don't know. I don't for me, right? For me, the, the issue here isn't Chiesa. Okay, players dive, everyone dives. He made an yeah, absolute mess of this dive. My issue here is with the fact that the penalty stood because the referee goes, to, I don't know what the new virals are this year, but the it's, referee is listening to it. So someone watched that and decided that it was a penalty. Is the, it's, they've kind of went to how it works in the world, how it worked in the World Cup as opposed to last season with VAR. Last season, it was just like any kind of doubt over the decision, they would go and check it. Whereas this year, it's more along the lines of if it's kind of a clear and obvious error, right? So that that that's when if if the referee said to VAR, right, look, guys, I've seen it totally clearly, he was fouled, and they're like, no, no, it looks like he he, he threw himself. But if the referee said, no, 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 I'm a hundred percent, he was fouled. It's a penalty. The referee's decision stands. All right, but but this is the thing because there was a pause of about two minutes where the referee stood there with his hand on his ear. So he he must have said, "Can you just have a look at that?" No, 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 no. He might not have said. They might have said to him. Mm. He doesn't know, necessarily but... need to ask for VAR, but they might have said to him, "Oh, well, that that's a bit dodgy. Do you want us to look at it?" Or yeah, this is one of those things though where. I, I didn't see where the referee was, but I don't know how he could have made that decision because you could see when Chiesa went down, everyone just looked at each other and was saying, that is not a penalty. Someone beside me described it as an imaginary penalty. Um, and and we, were, we were at the right end, but we weren't all that close. We were probably, what, 50 yards away from it. Um, but Alex says they didn't reverse the penalty because Chiesa is Italy's golden boy. 
Not so sure about that. Abdul, the fact that Chiesa protested so theatrically after the dive was more embarrassing for a player of his caliber. This, I thought Chiesa knew that it had been spotted that he dived because Taloy was going mental at him. And Chiesa was looking quite shy, just saying, oh, no, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. But it was a dive. But the issue, I don't know. Dove, do you have a problem with players diving? I mean, people cheat. people people handball if they can. A, di- a dive is the same as a foul. A dive is this exactly a dive is a foul. If you're caught doing it, you get a yellow card. I agree with that. I don't understand why <laughs> that's why it, fouling or why diving has been treated as the worst possible thing. You because see because, because I think it's because a foul is kind of something you do kind of what's the word you kind of do it and you don't think I'm well sometimes actually sometimes players do that they foul them they just go right I'm going to take him out he's not going any further diving's the same as that but you see it at corners like players hold on to each other that's cheating players who technically players who appeal for a throw-in that they know isn't theirs that's cheating I I always go I always go by the argument like imagine Ireland right we'll go Ireland or, or Ireland or Australia we're in the World Cup final right and Jason McAteer right, throws right. himself down for a penalty, obvious dive in the 89th minute. And if you score the penalty, you win the World Cup. Oh, no, nobody in the right mind is going to say, no, no, I, I want Jason McAteer to be a, a stand-up guy and stand-up. Or And the same if Tim Cahill did it for Australia in the 89th minute. You, 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 you want to win the World Cup. End of story. And no, I, I People don't care how they win it. No, you do kind of you push the limits. It's up to the referee to enforce these rules. There are rules there. Players will naturally try and bend and break them. Um, mm. As they do with every situation, they appeal for throw-ins, corners, they know are not theirs. It's more or less the same thing. They're pretending there was contact, but there wasn't contact. Fido, did you want to jump in? You've unmuted your mic. Uh, I was just going to say that, although I don't like diving in general, but this is one of the things about football, uh, Fouls are one thing because you try to distract the play, but diving is done because players try to look for an unfair advantage and it's up to the referees to properly hold the place to account. If they... Yeah, right. But if a player is charging through on goal from the halfway line and say Giovanni Simeone is racing through and he's, he's obviously going to score, he's going one-on-one with Galini and Toloi trips him up. Toloi is gaining an unfair advantage because he can then have all 11 of his teammates behind the ball or 10 if he then goes and gets sent off. But is that not the same thing? Uh, in a way, they're similar, not entirely the same, but yeah, different purposes, different contexts. Again, it's about getting that unfair advantage and about holding the referee to account that they've got to be much more alert. Yeah, see, that's it. With things like this, I don't really hold it against the players. It was kind of this one because I love Chiesa. See him do that. People know who I support. It was a bit disappointing. But Bologna won again. I, I don't understand what's happening there because Santander scored again. And I was getting tweeted by Nicholas Carroll, who I'm sure hasn't watched Bologna play once this season, saying that Santander is an amazing player. Fido, how's he managed to score another one? Hmm. I definitely wouldn't call Santander an amazing player, but he's just one of those players that seemingly doing the job that he's had to do. He's built like a tree trunk or lumberjack, and he's a workhorse, but he's effective so far. So he's got two goals so far, so at least that's something. 
And if I can make a comment in general about this game, not just about Santander, what I saw, it was a game that Inzaghi's old-school Italian approach triumphed over Velasquez's Spanish tiki-taka. They had the possession Udinese. They created chances and the pool looked lively. But in the second half, Inzaghi made better subs. They were more attack-minded. So even though Bologna were defending in numbers and sitting deep, they were breaking a lot better than what they did in previous games. And I was happy that Orsolini got the winner because he's a promising kid. I'm quite happy about that as well because he was at Atalanta at the start of last season and he didn't get a look in. Um, obviously, it was difficult for him because Papu and Ilicic were there and then Cristante came in and things changed. But uh, with the game I was at, who did I see Bologna play against? Genoa? It was in the morass anyway. Yeah, you were at Bologna Genoa because I remember I was telling you about a Bologna Genoa game I went to that was probably the second worst game after today's that I've ever seen. Yeah, but they were they were crying out for someone like Orsolini in that game. And this is a player who we've heard so much about. He hasn't quite done it in Serie A yet. He's not really been given enough chances to do it in Serie A yet. But yeah, um, I stand by what I said about Santander. He's useless. Is uh, you called him a blob. No, I called him a... I don't say blob. I think I called him a lump. So I, I questioned that. To be fair, I do, like, I do like blob. Blob's are quite a good word when he said. But he mentioned that. I kind of like that word. People should be called blobs more often. But Dov, you, you like me have seen this this lump or blob live this season. Am I being too harsh and calling him a lump or no, he was a blob against Inter, so <laughs> I, I can go with blob. blob He's gonna blob. finish his Kappa Capanieri now just to it, No, no he won't. No, he no won't. it's the safest no, thing we could say that he's not gonna do that because he's terrible. Um, right, Vito, this is gonna hurt you. But Christoph Piontek scored again and then he did it again. He's scored in every single Serie A game this season. What has he got? 12 goals in seven or in eight matches this season. Um, more than seven in his seven Serie A games. Anyway, he's, he's unbelievable. And I know we keep talking about him, but he just keeps scoring. We can't overlook it. You know, it must, it must kill you to see a Polish boy doing well at, at Genoa. No, well, that's the thing. The fact that he's at Genoa, that's the annoying bit. And it's a phenomenal record that he's got so fast. So 12 goals in all competitive games. And it would be surprising if he stays beyond January because he's in sensational form and he's really he's really putting Genoa high up the table. I think Genoa is sixth at the moment. So, I mean, so far, they're really making a huge impact and Genoa have only scored 11 goals in Serie A and eight have come from him. So, it's incredible. They're, they're sixth, Vito, and they've got a game in hand as well. So, if they win the game in hand... Against Milan. Yeah, depending on how many goals they win it by. And then that's possible against Milan. They could go second. Imagine Mm. that. Genoa second in the table. They they, they could maybe put a wee challenge together and get that star above their crest, Vito. (laughs) It it sounds so 1920s. My grandparents were babies back then. (laughs) In all seriousness, (laughs) we're going to be praising Piontek. Vito's statistic is worrying because they still have a, a zero goal difference. And if you take his goals away, they've only scored three. So you, can't, you would imagine that these, he's not going to keep doing this. He can't keep doing this. Um, he'll definitely get into double figures with ease for the season. But when the goals start to dry up, have, have Genoa got anything else? I, I, I quite like the boy Kwame as well, but... I don't think he's going to be getting 15 goals a season. Vito, well, they've got Parma next, so they'll be it'll smash goals against Parma at home. It'll just be him and Gervinho. I think 
they'll gradually take off one player each off either team and just let Piontek and Jovinio go at it. And then I think Jovinio wins because he can run really quick. So that's how that'll go. Um, right, guys, I think, we, I think we've made it to the end. Have, we, uh, have either of you got anything else you'd like to, to raise? A couple of things. Um, I'll go, I'm going to take this full circle and go back to the top. Um, I can't remember. Somebody said in the comments, uh, yeah, Cheyenne Rafidzadeh, Raf, Raf, uh, Cheyenne, he said that the red card was Dybala's biggest contribution. And then Roberto Luongo said the referee screwed a second half Napoli response. Um that was on like I, before I tell you what I think. What did you think about Mario Rui's red card? Both of you, Vito, you can take it this. His, it was his second yellow card, so I thought it was fair. I mean, I reckon both offenses were yellow card offenses. So, what's done is done, and yeah, he gets sent off, and that means more chances for Sebastiano Luperto, which I'd like to see more of. It was good against Torino, to be fair. Anyway, Dove. He was. Yeah, no, I thought, I, well, I thought it was harsh, if I'm being honest. I thought he made him make a decision, but I thought that it's kind of one of those things you can see it go either way. But I, to be honest, I don't think it would have made him blame, but a difference. Juventus would have won the game anyway. Um, and the other thing I want to add is Beppe Marotta is leaving Juve. Yeah, actually, I did see that. That will... That will probably change things a little bit. Vito, you wrote about Marotta for FIF a couple of months ago now. What sort of impact do you think it'll have them not having him there anymore? I reckon it will change the dynamic of how that club is run because he has been fundamental in terms of the transfer market business. Since he's arrived at the club, he's always bought shrewdly. There have been a few bad guys, but... Most of the time, he's been getting plays either on free transfers or for lower than market values. So as much as we can praise Conte and Allegri for putting this dominant side together over the last seven seasons, Marotta's been making the deals to get those plays to the club in the first place. So he deserves enormous credit for what he's done. It's really weird, though, because he said today that that was the club's decision and not his and obviously on Saturday night, kind of, it broke after the uh, UV Napoli game. So, kind of, people there were a bit surprised. And, and the the kind of news that started filtering through the press room was that it had a, an argument with Agnelli. Um, over uh, uh, there was nothing kind of in particular what it was about, but they'd had an argument, and Agnelli said, "Well, you do what I say, or you leave." Essentially. So. Obviously, something's went down because, like, like Vito said, over the last, what, eight years he's been there, he's done amazing work. And yeah, well, you don't think it's coincidental that their dominance of Italian football has coincided with him being there? Well, they bought all the good young players and then they don't do anything. And then <laughs> nobody else can have them because they're UVs. Yeah, so but then, this is... This and, then, is and then they buy all the best players that are kicking about as well. They buy all their team's best players, their rivals' best players, so... Yeah, they're they're... Operating within the rules of the Chelsea do it too. They stockpile these young players, not with any intentions of ever playing them, but they know if they put them through their youth academy, they can sell them on for a quick bit of money. And if they're allowed to do it, let them do it. I don't really like it, but it's up to it's not up to Juve to be moral about things, is it? They're just there to uh, Juve and morals. That's a dangerous territory to go down. 
But, Dov, look what you've done by bringing up the referee again. Um, HA says the referee killed any chance of a comeback. But we're not getting into that. Because you may win and people talk about the referee. It's just what happens. There's never going to be a comeback. I'm sorry, but Juventus were, are and were head and shoulders above Napoli even before Mario Rui got sent off. All right. That's it. End of story. All right. Done. End of story. End of podcast. End of week. We can go to sleep now. Okay. Uh, Dolph, thank you for joining us and go get some rest. He's just giving me a thumbs up. Vito, thank you very much for coming along. You're welcome. Actually, I do want to mention one very quick thing, and that's uh, Silvio Berlusconi's back in Italian football. He has purchased <laughs> Monza and Adriano Galliani, his sidekick, is with him in Serie C. Yeah, so that that, that's nice. official now, isn't it? I think we yeah. mentioned that briefly the other week, but it's it's actually gone through. So Monza will be in Serie A. No, gonna... no, no, what's going to happen is, right, Monza are going to mm-hmm. buy players and then loan them to Milan so that Milan can get them. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to happen. I think Milan will just ship off all their young players to Monza as well. And... Yeah, so I'll work. It'll be a nice wee... Uh, Double deal to get going. Monza, Monza can buy players like what Genoa used to do when remember when they bought Kevin Prince and Boateng and then immediately gave him to Milan for nothing, pretty much. I think it was a loan or something like that. It's like that, that's what Monza are going to do. Silvio's not stupid, he knows. Yeah, someone asked me, do, do I think this is just a way of him sneaking his way back into Italian football, like doing something that makes it possible for him to go back to Milan? And I wouldn't be at all surprised. Two years down the line, Silvio's back at San Siro. Silvio's old, man. Silvio's like, and he's, what, he was 82 the other day. He's going to live forever, he's though. Gonna... <laughs> he's, he's not dying. <laughs> he's got a lot of money. He, he doesn't need to follow the normal rules of life. All right, that is actually it now. I'm, I'm going. I'm hanging up. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Come back again next week. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back to the normal 11.30 Central European time. 10.30 UK time next weekend. And until then, it is ciao for now. Ciao, ciao. Io questa maglia sognavo da bambino Quando giocavo ancora col trenino Mio padre andava sempre al comunale C'era il Torino, Torino da sognare è una seconda pelle portarla è come un viaggio tra le stelle lo so cos'è la storia e la leggenda giochiamo noi la fiamma non si è spenta Io sono il capitano, undici cuori tenuti per la mano, vincere sempre vincere con ardore, per il Torino, 
per il suo grande cuore è un'emozione che sempre mi attanaglia sono del toro e un grido mi accompagna forza ragazzi vinciamo con onore essere granato vuol dire fede e amore e ancora ancora è sempre toro Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.